Judaism that are not subject to debate at all? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, I don't know. I think... Uh, I think we all agree that there's a Shem. Thing. I don't think the subject of debate on that. I think we all agree that Torah is Mina Shemayim. The question is, what does exactly that mean? I don't know. Why do you ask? Um, because then, well, I don't know. It's like, then, like, it's not, it's difficult to decide what to believe in if it's so up to debate. Ah, ah. Well, so for that, you might want to go to uh, my website I have a talk called Paradoxical Logic whereby actually debate is the ideal it's not the debate uh, the way I, I'm hearing you describe it as well what can I believe if it's all up to debate but actually there are many sources that say that the higher truth when it comes into our world will always come into this world as having two facets uh, that in our minds seem to be contradictory but are actually two sides of one coin. So what seems to be a debate is actually two positions describing two facets of a single reality that our uh, minds right now can't understand. But that's a long one. Uh, and if you go to my website, I think there's a, a three series that I did called One Is Not One. So, yeah, that's a long one. There's certain questions get an answer, and certain questions get a class, and certain questions get a course. So you just asked a question that is somewhere between a class and a course. But it's a very good question. Any other questions before we begin? Two minutes. It's like a flight. Shalom. Any more questions? I think it's interesting. It's good that they built this first row so that no one will sit here. <laughs> so you will be protected by the Rebbe just in case he lurches out at you or something. People always have an uncomfortable thing about the first row. But that's okay. Where does it come from? Uh... I think they're intimidated by the rabbi. I mean, I look like a scary guy, don't I? So you want to stay as far away as you can. Shut up. All right, should we begin? We got one more minute. Will you introduce me? Oh, so do you want to introduce me before the minute or after? We'll give it one more minute. One more minute, there is. Shalom, what is your name? Ashley Reich. Nice to meet you, Rabbi. Thank you for coming. I've heard a lot about you over the years, so I've had a chance to see you the first time. Oh, okay. I hope the good things, I hope what you heard about me over the years were good things. Very good. <laughs> okay, so you haven't met the people that I've eliminated. Okay, <laughs> very good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Very good. But it wasn't afraid to sit in the front row. We were just talking a moment ago. We were just talking about how people are afraid to sit in the front row. I'm hot up here. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. Okay, 
I just want to take a brief moment uh, to introduce Rabbi Aaron again. Uh, we, uh, we had the pleasure of hearing Rabbi Aaron. He's already spoken a number of times around uh, the yeshiva and different uh, different uh, courses and classes and questions and answers. And uh, uh, it's really a pleasure to uh, to be able to take advantage of him to pull him away from the yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Rabbi Aaron, as you know, as uh, some of you know firsthand, is a yeshiva oraita in the old city, as well as a prolific writer and author. Rabbi Reichman uh, has heard of him from uh, by extension. We've all, and different uh, different areas and different uh, the different media, uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to become familiar with you from a, uh, a distance, and that's why it was uh, so imperative and, and such an exciting opportunity to be able to have you here in person. And uh, thank you for uh, taking the time away from Yeshiva to be with us in our Yeshiva. Good, thank and you. Learn time with us. Oh, uh, thank you for the very very kind uh, invitation. I was very honored and. Uh, very happy that this worked out. Thank you very much. And Rabbi Shnall has been taking personal care of me, and uh, I have enough food in my room for the entire yeshiva. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. All right. Well, yes, this one. Well, I'll give it out when I'm ready to give it out. Yeah, because sometimes people look at things while I'm talking. So let me give you um, an introduction to tefillah, and in these three sessions that we're going to do, um, we're going to, um, it's called a crash course in, in uh, Shemona Esrei. Today, I think we'll more focus uh, on a little more of a general understanding of what are we trying to accomplish in tefillah. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid um, and went to shul, I actually thought that all you had to do was say the first word of the page and the last word of the page. Because what I heard as a child was, and I, and I really, I thought you didn't have to say the words. I thought you just mumble. Then I found out that these people, <laughs> these elderly people, I was a little boy, have the mystical ability to say thousands of words within a very short amount of time. And, and I thought that that was good. And I thought that what we were supposed to do is try and daven fast. Which made sense to me. Because like, we wouldn't want to waste Hashem's time, would we? He's got a lot on his plate in terms of the universe. So we want to try and daven as quickly as possible. And then I found out later on that there's really no mitzvah to daven quickly. Really no mitzvah. And I really found out something really interesting that it's important to... to to, to know what you're saying and to have kavana and that was a big chiddush you know like say it and, and, and understand what you're saying and I, I think one of the biggest challenges for people in their Torah lives is tefillah and, and it's, it's hard to get people to, to, to really um, appreciate it and be transformed by it so uh, I decided many years ago that I would invest some significant time in researching the topic and, and, and not because I wanted to teach it and not because I was looking to write a book about it. I was just trying to make it more real for myself and be more honest with my own avodas Hashem in terms of davening. So, so just to give you a, a, a kind of a brief, in, a brief introduction to, to what is tefillah and how is tefillah different from prayer? Because tefillah and prayer are extremely different. And I think the problem that people are having is they're applying a non-Jewish 
approach to tefillah. All right. What is prayer? Prayer kind of goes like this. Uh, a fellow's business is falling apart. He turns to Hashem. He says, Hashem, um, my business is going bankrupt. Please, Hashem, save my business. And if not for me, please have compassion on my children. Right. Let's say Hashem were to actually respond to this fellow. I guess kind of wonder what Hashem would say. This is what I think Hashem would say. Let's, let's call him Shmuel. He's Isaac Shmuel. Um, I, I don't know if they taught you this in yeshiva, but I assume they did, that I run the world and I make everything happen. You know, there's a bracha, shakol nihyeh bidvaro. All is by his word. That, that's me, Shmuel. I'm him. And all is by my word. So uh, you're telling me that your business is falling apart. Well, I mean, Shmuel, I know that. I guess, guess who's making your business fall apart? I'm making your business fall apart. So, but I'm glad you, you know, you were, we were in touch. Um, I, I also assume they taught you in yeshiva that a kolotova, that I am, I am just tov. I am a balrachamim. I'm your father. I, I, I'm surprised uh, you're, you're asking me to, to save your business. Because uh, you should think, be thanking me. Uh, I'm obviously doing this in your best interest. Uh-huh. And you made another comment, Shmuel, that I found a little bit insulting, but you know, I don't want to harper on it, but you said something about being compassionate towards your children. Now, if I could just remind you, um, I'm the source of all compassion. So it kind of sounds like you're more compassionate than me? You're asking me to be compassionate towards your children? Uh, what do you think Shmuel would say? I think he'd say, is there anybody else I can talk to up there? <laughs> but, but there seems to be, from a philosophical point of view, a problem with davening and, and trying to change Hashem's mind. Just the very concept of Hashem changing his mind is philosophically problematic. Why would I change my mind? Let's say I'm taking my children out for dinner, Chinese dinner. We're going to Mitsuyan, okay? Very Chinese place. <clears throat> We're on our way to Mitsuyan. Uh, I meet a friend. I say, oh, I'm taking out the, the kids to dinner to Mitsuyan. He says, do you, do you know that they just lost their hexer? So I changed my mind. Why did I change my mind? Because I got new information. What would it mean that Hashem gets new information? That He would change His mind? Like I'm letting Hashem know, you probably didn't know, but my business is falling apart. So when you think about tefillah, when you, in this way, there's some serious philosophical problems that face us. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are having a hard time davening. You know, I was once at a shul and, um, here in America and they made a very aggressive effort to try and get people to stop talking during davening. You know, I go to a shul that has a sign, please don't daven while we're talking. But, um, but in this shul they decided to try and change the policy and get people to stop speaking during davening. 
and they had this laminated card. Shabbat morning, everybody walked in, and on their on their chair was a laminated card, card with a very famous picture of Jews davening on Yom Kippur. It's dark, it's gloomy, it's depressing. There's this light on the man's face, and he's like this. Oy. And this is the picture they put on the front of the card that inspires people to come to shul happily. And uh, inside the car was um, sources and sources and sources on the iser of, of, of speaking during davening as well as the terrible things that would happen to a person if they talked during davening. And this was going to stop everybody from talking. Well, you know what everybody talked about that morning? <laughs> that card. <laughs> Did you see what it says in the card? If you want to get people to stop talking in shul to each other, we have to get people to start talking to Hashem. But to get people to start talking to Hashem, we've got a lot of work to do. We have to clarify, well, what do you really mean when you say Hashem? And, and, and what do we really mean when we, we say Davin? And what actually are we trying to accomplish through davening? And what are we actually saying? And that's a lot of work. But I don't see any shortcuts to this. And I think we're, we're losing a lot of kids. You know, schools, part of the, part of the um, policy of the school is the kids have to go daven, which totally makes sense. But at the very least, explain to them what they're saying, who they're talking to, why they're saying this. Prayer is not tefillah. Prayer is about trying to get Hashem to want what I want. To get Hashem to change his mind and think like me. It's a little bit haughty that I should I should be doing that. What, what do I think I should be doing here? So, before we go on to what prayer is, is and is not, let's take a look at something that Rav Cook writes. Somebody could help pass this out. That would be great. There we go. I'll just take one. Look at the first one. We'll do it in Hebrew. I, I, we'll do it in English. I have the Hebrew too. You can follow along. You can look at it. You can obviously keep this. Rav Cook rarely speaks this kind of tone. This is not so characteristic of the way Rav Cook talks. But look what he writes. How absurd is the common man's understanding of tefillah. A person prays to Hashem, who is the mightiest of all beings, and he generates by Hashem his desired effect. I'm going to affect God. The mightiest of all, I'm going to get up and I'm going to affect God. The Almighty is impacted by the speech of a man. He is awakened to fulfill this person's wishes. Since he has burdened Hashem, with his request. I have bombarded with Hashem. Please give me, please give me, please give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that. Hashem says, oh, please get off my back already. Angels, give him what he wants. But what do we think we're actually accomplishing, Rav Cook says? Is there any blasphemy, sacrilege, darkness and distortion greater than this that by burdening Hashem with filah, we would get him to change his mind? Is it any wonder that a person who is part of a sophisticated society who sees himself as an intelligent and honest practitioner of Torah despises prayer? It's unbelievable what Cook is saying. Now why is there so many people that really don't like to adopt it? They might not admit it. Although I was at 
I did a workshop on Tefillah and Ramat Bet Shemesh. There was a woman at the end of my shiur, got up, she was wearing a shaito. Why do I say that? Just because she looked from, so to speak, whatever that means. And she says, you know, Rabbi, I hate davening. She said this in front of everybody. I hate davening. I hate davening. I hate going to the kotel. I'd rather do dishes than daven. I said, good, come to my place. You know, I've got plenty you can do in here. I'll daven, you do my dishes. I hate davening. And the reason why I hate davening is because all I see in the Sidur is Hashem says, fear me, fear me, fear me. And when I go to the Kotel, all I feel at the Kotel is Hashem booming down on me. Fear me, fear me, fear me. But what can I do? I have to daven. I have to go to the Kotel because I'm so afraid my kids won't be from. I thought to myself, aha, so you want your kids to be as miserable as you Right? I'm afraid they won't live my kind of from guy that is making me miserable. She hates davening. Why? She doesn't know who she's talking to. She doesn't know why she's talking. She doesn't know why would Hashem be even interested in what she has to say. What is she even saying? And I don't understand. There should be a lot more effort in teaching who we're talking to and what we're saying. And Rav Cook says the first thing we have to know is that we're not trying to change Hashem. Prayer tries to change Hashem, not tefillah. But prayer, the Goyish way of understanding prayer. Just as prayer without understanding and feeling is darkness, so too it is enlightening and uplifting with an expression of insight and emotion. So Rav Cook says, sure, if you have insight and emotion, then tefillah makes sense. But when it's misunderstood and it's coming from this place of darkness, a sophisticated person will despise it. Look at this next piece. Again, this is kind of rare for Rav Kook to even write in a way that sounds sarcastic um, and, and so critical. But the, obviously this is something that um, very, very disturbing. This is what he writes. When feel is understood in a crass way, it becomes a mockery, suffering the pollution of idolatry. What's the pollution of idolatry? Because idolatry was basically, we've got to buy off the gods. We've got to offer them something. And um, a person calls out to Hashem, whom he describes as powerful, resilient, mighty, dominant, victorious, and is one who pursues honor and the obedience of groveling servitude from his ministers and servants. Hashem likes this. He likes us groveling and, 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 and that he is inclined to be appeased by lowly people who plead with him by their requests and supplications. They beg him, they plead with him. He finds this, okay, he needs this. And then he changes his authoritative will, fulfills their demand. But rather than a simple, there's nothing sacred about their demand, but rather a simple base desire for some pleasant or unbecoming thing. People daven for some of the craziest things. You know, please keep, keep that car available for me so I can buy it tomorrow. Like, that's what you're davening for. Whatever Shem gives you the car, what the people are asking for things. This type of prayer is objectable. It is intoxicated and idolatrous. To have a tefillah where I'm trying to get God to want what I want and want what I want which is sometimes not the highest level 
is lacking the inner power of the essence of tefillah and it's considered a misguided offense. It's an offense, but it's a misguided offense. It's not a, you know, in, in um, he, he calls it uh, a chata. Right. So, they won't be so to be punished for it. But something's wrong. Something's wrong. This was what davening meant to me as a kid. I remember it was uh, Rosh Hashanah. I did not grow up in a religious home. But we were very from, we went to shul three times a year. And we went uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It was, it was Yom Kippur, and I was in a conservative synagogue. This is what the rabbi said. The rabbi said, um, we are going to be opening up the Holy Ark. It will be opened for a very long time, because it's Yom Kippur. It's customary that we stand, but it will be open for a very long time. So if you get tired, you can sit down. I thought to myself, this is crazy. I come here three times a year. If all I have to do is stand to get the Almighty off my back for another year, I'll stand. Why not? I'll stand. So they open up the Arna Kodesh. The entire congregation stands up and everybody sat down immediately. And I was the only one. I was like 15 years old. I looked around. I'm thinking, are you crazy? You already sat down? And so I stood, and 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 my back is killing me, my, 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 my ankles, my knees. And, 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 I, and I started to think, you know, maybe I should sit down. How long could this go on for? But then I was about to sit down. I said, wait a second. I know how the master of the universe works. He's waiting for me to sit down. I'll sit down, they'll close the ark, and I'll get punished. So I continue to stand, stand, stand. Finally, they close the ark in the Kodesh. I fall to my feet. I fall to my chair, and I felt so good that I felt so bad. Because this means I'm a holy person. That I'm in pain and shul. This is not Yiddishkeit. The people think that the whole point is to be in pain and, and to try and appease God. That's what's idolatrous about it. That you're trying to buy off God. You're trying to pay Him with pain or, or, or beg Him. And What is this? So let's try and understand how tefillah is different from prayer. So the first thing we know about tefillah is lehit palel. Lehit palel. And what do we know about lehit anything? Lehit labesh. It's reflexive. So already we know something different. Prayer is trying to affect Hashem. Tefillah is trying to affect us. We're not trying to change Hashem. We don't have to change Hashem. We have to change ourselves. We have to change Hashem. Just like it says in number three. This is from uh, the... Um, this is the beginning of the Yitzchayim of Chaim Vital teaching over the Arizal's teachings. It is a known fact that God does not change. And so it is written, I am Hashem, I did not change. Rather, the change is on the part of the recipients. It was always already established when the recipients are worthy, such and such will happen. And if not, then such, this and that will happen. The change is from them. So lehit palel, unlike prayer, prayer is I'm trying to get Hashem to change. Lehit palel is I'm trying to get myself to change. What is it about me that I'm trying to change? I'm going to palel myself. What does it mean 
to palel. What does the word palel mean? Judge. judge. So I'm going to judge myself. Well, that is the common answer. I will admit that was the first thing I was told that the word palel means. Although we find, and did I bring it down over here? We find in the story of Yaakov and Yosef. I didn't bring it here. In the story of Yaakov and Yosef, Yosef comes to his father. He understands that his father is nearing the end of his life. And what does Yaakov Avinu say to his son? Lo palalti. I never, so to speak, paleled that I would have ever seen your face. And yet Hashem has blessed me to see the face even of your children. So fill in the blank. What do you think he said there? He used the word palel. What did he say there? I never would have what? That I would have ever seen your face again. I never would have imagined. What else? I never would have thought. What else? I never would have dreamed. What else? Never would have believed. I never would have expected. Rashi, you look over there. Said, Lo meleni libi lachshav machshavot. It never filled my heart to think the thoughts that I'd ever see your face again. I think this is a, this is a key to understand. Lehit palel. Lehit palel, I think we can conclude, is I am intentionally working on myself, impacting on myself. I'm going to palel myself. I'm going to fill my heart to think the thoughts that I will dream those dreams. That's Lahit Palel. Lahit Palel is an act where I am inducing in myself expectation. It's a self-inducing of visionary thinking, dreaming of what could be. And when I'm in shul, who's actually at the front of the shul leading the service? He's called... The Chazan. And where does the word Chazan come from? Chazon. Which is interesting. Why not call him a cantor? <laughs> if they do. But I never liked, when I was in the conservative school that we went to as kids, I never understood why the Chazan would sing in our direction. It made no sense to me. I wasn't religious, but I thought, listen, if we're praying to God, why is he... And, and he was an opera singer. And he would... Stand in front and go, you know, and I, don't look at me. I can't help you. And I never stood that. And I wasn't, I wasn't from, but it didn't make any sense to me. Chazan is leading the service in Chazon. We've come to the shul to dream. That's why rabbis put their congregants to sleep. It's a good thing. We're here to dream. Just joking. Right? We're here to dream. To dream of what can be. To fill our hearts to think the thoughts of of Geula, of Refuah, of Shalom. That's what we're here to do. We're not here to change Hashem's mind. We don't need to change Hashem's mind. Hashem wants this. In prayer, I'm trying to get Hashem to want what I want. In Tefillah, I'm trying to get me to want what Hashem wants. I want what Hashem wants. And you know how you can figure out what Hashem wants? The Shemona Ezra. The Shemona Esrei is brilliant. I teach Shemona Esrei to Jews that are not religious. Of course, also the Jews that are. But in my Kiruv programs, people that weren't believers, 
the, one of the fundamental standard courses was a course in tefillah. And they would say, well, look at, I mean, I want to learn about Judaism, but I don't know if I even believe in God yet. And uh, wh- why, would I, why would I study this prayer? I said, you know, when you're dating somebody, what do you want to know about them? What are they dreaming about? What's foremost on their minds? What do they want? What do they want? If you want to date Yiddishkeit, then this is where you'll find out what Jews want. Because this is what, and you want to date God? What does Hashem want? The Shemana Esrei, Chachamim, wrote in the most incredible distilled fashion the essence of what we want. Because this is what Hashem wants. So in prayer, I'm trying to get God to change his mind. In feel, I'm trying to get me to change my mind. In prayer, I'm trying to get Hashem to want what I want. In feel, I'm trying to get me to want what Hashem wants. I say, Ritzon, Ritzon, Cha. Want what Hashem wants. In fact, that's the secret of all Yiddishkeit. That's the secret of all Yiddishkeit. What does it mean to live a Torah life? I say, Ritzon, Ritzon, Cha. Want what Hashem wants. We learn Torah to know what Hashem wants. We dive into want what Hashem wants. And we do mitzvahs to live what Hashem wants. If you know what Hashem wants, and you want what Hashem wants, and you live what Hashem wants, you get the big prize. It's called Dvekus. It's Hashem in your life. So, in prayer, I'm trying to get God to change His will. In tefillah, I'm trying to channel God's will through my will. The more you want what Hashem wants, the more what Hashem wants can come into the world. Because He, he, because he wants this. He wants this. And so, you can look at some more of these sources. I don't, I don't like just teaching and not giving you time to ask me some questions. So uh, we only have four minutes left. <laughs> so remind me your name, yeah? Jack. Jack, yeah. Um, so tefillah, tefillah, we're saying, is all about it's, not like it's changing ourselves and like speaking to ourselves. Why is no, it no, no, you're not speaking yourself? to yourself. You're speaking right. to a customer. It's like therapy. Uh-huh. What do you do in therapy? You go to a therapist and you talk to the therapist, Okay. But the therapist says, uh-huh. And then the therapist says, what do you think? And you say, wait a second. I'm paying you $200. Maybe if I tell you what I think, you should pay me $200. What do you mean, what do you think? You're, you're, you're speaking to a therapist and you're hearing yourself saying this to a therapist. That changes you. That changes you. But it's not that you have to let Hashem know what's going on in your life. Because Baruch Hu knows what's going on in your life. And it's not that you have to convince Him to give you something better. He's giving you the best He can give you in light of who you are and what's going on. This is the best, if this is where you're at. But if you change your mind, so when you daven, you're saying, Hashem, I know that you are the source of healing. And Hashem... I want healing for the right reasons. And I know you want healing. So when you make that connection, the more you recognize Hashem as the source of healing, and the more you want healing, and you know, of course, He surely wants healing. Because He's a Rafech Oleim O Yisrael. 
download healing. But you're, it's waiting to be down. That's why every bracha at the end is in the present tense. Baruch atah Hashem, Goel Yisrael. Baruch Hashem, Baruch atah Hashem, Mekabetz Nitcheya Mojel. Bonei Yishlaim. It's in the present tense. It's happening already right now. Why is it not happening in your world? Because something's blocking it out. We need to change. Kash Baruch doesn't need to change. Look at this last source over here. Um... Maybe it's not that one. No, you should, these are all really beautiful sources. But I think over here, number nine. It, uh, this is from a sefer called Sikh Yitzchak, Rav Isaac Hever, who was a Talmud of the Gra, and he basically teaches the Kabbalah of the Gra, and he, his attempt is to give commentary to it and bring it down more for us. The genuine one does not change nor accept any change. For if he would change, behold, he is not one. As it's written, from the supernal mouth will not come forth evil and good. From Echa. Heaven forbid that his will changes from bestowing good to causing evil. The difference is only from the perspective of the recipients who are governed by time and space, which is divisible into two, past and future, right and left in accord with the change in their situation, as a result of the modification of their conduct, like the change of time, they will be worthy of receiving heavenly influence, which is disseminated in the world. In other words, you decide. Hashem's not sending bad things. You're just receiving bad things. It's like, imagine you're a radio, and you're not tuned in, and your friend is. And you say to your friend, your friendly radio, I can't take the noise. This is horrible. And the other radio says, I don't know what you're talking about. This is beautiful music. Beautiful music? Don't you hear the noise? He said, are you tuned in? And the guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, hey, we're radios. There's music. But in order to hear it, you have to turn on and tune in to the music. So too in your life, if you want to tune in to the music of Hashem, it's 613 on your dial. That's how you turn into Kol Hashem. And so in this room right now, there is beautiful music. Nobody's hearing this music because we didn't turn on our radio and properly tune in our radio to the frequency of that music. But if we did, it would come in. Okay? So, so Hashem is only sending, the Baal Shem Tov says that klala is bracha that's trying to get into your life but you're resistant to it. You're not worthy to receive it. The Zohar says that the Dora Mabul was scheduled to receive Torah but they weren't ready for it. So the waters of Torah became a flood. And so instead of receiving Torah they got a flood. But Hashem sent Torah. But because they were not ready to receive the Torah, it transformed into their subjective world as a flood. So, so people think that davening is very passive, and that's why people don't have kavod. Because, ah, Hashem heard this before. I mean, as a kid, I didn't understand why we say the same prayers over and over again. Why not just simply say, Hashem, you know what I said yesterday? Did over today. 
Like, why are we wasting our time? And why, why, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? So if we think we're trying to communicate information to Hashem that He doesn't have and try and whine enough and beg enough and bargain enough to get Him to change His mind, a sophisticated society, Rav Cook says, is not going to go for that. But if we know that we are talking to Hashem and we believe Hashem is listening, but we're not talking to Hashem because we think we need to transfer information and get Him to change His mind. We have to change our mind. So we are talking to Hashem, but the more I recognize you are the source of all bracha, and the more I want what Hashem wants, the more I can bring into the world or allow for what Hashem is sending to the world to be received. Yeah, what's your name? Joey. Yeah, Joey. I can't hear you. Ah, here's a practical step. It's very simple. I wrote an entire sefer on Shemona Esrei called Soul Powered Prayers. And during these three days that I'm here at YU, it's going to be free for YU students. You just go to my website, rabbidavidaaron.com. Aaron is A-A-R-O-N. You go to the bookstore. There are two sfarim that I'm offering for free as an e-book. My Sefer on, on the Amida called Soul Powered Prayers and my Sefer on, on Sefer Breshit called Love is My Religion. And if you go there, there's a coupon and there's a code. You put in YU and you download the two sfarim. Okay, so that's a practical step. I've spent years and years of researching this topic. Now, not because I was looking to, to write a book. I was looking to be more from <laughs> and have more more feeling in my tefillah you know it's tefillah supposed to feel it no so um, and I wasn't and I think this is something that's blocking so many kids in school today that this doesn't mean anything to me and I don't understand what I'm trying to do most people think that tefillah is a very passive act I say we'll take care of something there's nothing I'm doing here I just like there's nothing I can do so let's stop it no that's something very active you can do. Change your mind. You'll change your find. By the more you recognize, in fact, Rav Cook says this, very strong. Look at number seven. Again, all these are really fabulous sources. A person's will is connected to the divine will, flowing from the radiance of its light. However, the divine power within his will is not revealed until he acknowledges this, this connection. The more you're aware that your will is connected to Hashem's will, like a tributary from His will, the more you turn on the power. The capacity of His will to affect, cause, innovate, and decree is according to the degree the person realizes that His will is none other than a revelation of the divine will. When it says, Asei ritzono ritzoncha, want what he wants, means I realize that my will is a branch, so to speak, flowing from his will, which is the root. And the more I'm conscious of that truth, the more that truth becomes effectualized in my daily life. Yeah? Or, you'll, like, or how about 
nightmares go away, you'll just learn to appreciate the fact that you're dying, and like you'll be happy about it. I don't know if they'll be happy about it, but I do believe, and I'm not saying this is easy, but I do believe that it is possible that a person, through tefillah, can bring into the world miraculous things. However, it's possible that they're trying to download something that is not what Hashem wants. And it's possible that you can't just download anything you want. It could be, it's hard to say, it could be that this is this person's time has come to an end and it's time for them to leave. And they will experience some quality, happiness because of that realization. I don't know. That would be a pretty high level of a tzaddik, I assume. But that's, the, that's the theory here. The theory, the theory, no, no, the theory here is that when you're davening, don't focus on trying to bargain, beg, and get Hashem to change his mind and turn him into a bully who clearly doesn't get it that I'm in pain and he's causing me this pain and if only I could just convince him and pay him off. That's a form of a Vodazara to think that way. But if I have the humbleness to say Hashem runs the world, he knows what he's doing. It could be that this is an opportunity for me to become more conscious of Hashem and by, by focusing more and wanting more health that it will bring that into my life. Or it could be. Hashem has a different plan for me. I, I'm also not going to be able to determine for Hashem what He wants. I just know Hashem wants the best. And the more you believe Hashem wants the best, the more you'll get, the, more, the greater your chances are that you'll see that in your life. But I'm not guaranteeing anything that it could be the time has come. It's time to leave. You know, the, the, uh, there was a, a, a boy that was, um, his name was Nachshin Baxman, who was uh, captured, kidnapped by, by terrorists. The entire country was davening for him. The Rabbanut asked us all to light a, a, an extra candle, Erev Shabbos, as if Nachshin was our own son. Malti Shabbos, we heard that in a rescue effort by the IDF, he was killed. And so was a soldier killed. And at the, at the, at the uh, funeral, the father turned to the Rav of Nachshon and said, all of Klai Yisrael was davening for my son. And this is what happened. How do you explain that? Now, what is a Rav supposed to say in the middle of Levaya to a grieving father? So the Rav said, I don't know. The father says, well, then I'll tell you. Everyone davened, and Hashem said no. And I'm the couple. It's pretty amazing. Sometimes, you, our goal is to want what Hashem wants, but I don't know what Hashem wants. I don't know what Hashem wants. I know one thing I know Hashem wants in general. Hashem is tov muhlat. Tov Hashem l'kol v'rachamav l'kol Hashem is good to all. And his unconditional love is towards everyone. That's his mission. That's his M.O. Obviously, many times we don't see it. We don't understand it. Imagine you were a seed. You didn't know you were a seed. Someone buries you alive. Could you think of something more malevolent than that? So evil than that, that they bury me alive? Just kill me. Don't bury me alive. And there, there, there you are, a seed under the ground, dying. You're dying. 
you're disintegrating. If someone were to whisper into your little seed ear, no, this was a farmer. You're not being buried. This is not death. This is the beginning of new life. This is new potential. You think you're disintegrating, but you're actually blossoming. You think the seed could understand that? You think the seed could understand all in one breath? Okay, there's lots of things I don't understand. But what I do understand that Torah is telling us don't believe in a God that's this bully that is, it wants you to beg, bargain with him and, and, and it's not our Kaddish Baruch that's not our approach. Our approach is as best as you can understand it, as it's written in the Tefillah, give us the recipe of Hashem's ultimate Ratzon, and then you let go. You let go. You know. So, will you see miracles? Maybe. Maybe not. But I think one thing's for sure, you'll have greater peace of mind in the kind of God that you relate to and try to invite into your life. Yeah. If What's your name? Yahoo. Yeah, yeah. If the purpose of tefillah is to find a way to align ourselves with the unknown Ratzon Hashem, yeah. how do we understand that which Hazal say that Hashem is Hashem himself? Does that mean he's trying to align himself with our Ratzon at the same time? Or? I'll tell you what I think it means. Since you are in a Shema, and a Shema is a Chelek Elokamim Al, is a facet of Hashem, Hashem is mitpalel through us. Now, what does that mean? As I said, some questions get a class, some questions get a course, some questions get a two-minute answer. That's a big one. So you can check out, I wrote a book called The Secret Life of God. I think you would have a bigger context to address that more. When we say I believe it's the piece that's the Rebbe that says that we're inviting Hashem to daven with us. We think we're davening to Hashem when in fact we're davening with Hashem because this is Hashem's tefillah. Hashem wants us to bring His tefillah into the world. The Midrash says wants to make His presence on earth. How is he going to get here? The more we want what he wants, the more we bring his ratzon into our ratzon, then ki'ilu Hashem is mitpala. I don't want to hold you up, but I was told to stop 15 minutes ago, but uh, I, my wife is not waiting up for me tonight. She's in Yerushalayim. So, any more questions? I'm happy to respond. But anybody who needs to leave, here you can. You, no, don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, why why dafka three times a day and at those like, specific time intervals? Okay. Um, well, each one of those times of day represents a different kind of setting for your day. You know, your morning sets kind of stage of the day. The afternoon is your mamish in the middle of of everything you're doing, and you say no. I have to stop and anchor myself in a more Hashem consciousness. At night, you're getting tired. Again, no. So every every kind of it's like there's some you might call it three seasons of one day. 
but it's about how to anchor your life in a greater Hashem consciousness. Shivit Hashem Negdita Meet. I want to be in a Hashem consciousness. And one of the pillars of that is, is tefillah. And sadly, we're, we're losing it. You know, there's, Baruch Hashem, there's some very strong davening, uh, very strong learning, and there's very strong chesed going on, but there's a, we need to do a more work, I think, on tefillah, to make it more serious. But to do that, <coughs> what I did is I studied the Shemona Esrei the way I studied Gemara. I just like decided that, that what I learned through the method of learning Gemara, I'm going to apply to learning the text of the of, of the tefillah and, and try and make it meaningful for myself. And I think everybody should do it. And everybody might have, and probably will have a different shot, which is good. But but make it meaningful. But if I'm just saying a bunch of words, I don't know how how many more generations are going to be willing to forgive us for that one right and tell them to go I, just yesterday I, I was uh, I did I was part of the Shabbat project and there's a woman there her son's going off the derech and uh, she said ask the rabbi ask the rabbi she's on his head yeah, I don't want to ask the rabbi no ask the rabbi he said what questions do I want to ask the rabbi she says this is what you want to ask him and she starts asking me the questions that she wants me to answer to him and and he, and he said to me you know rabbi I don't want to go to shul. My mother wants me to go to shul. It means nothing to me. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know who I'm saying it to. And I don't even know why he'd be interested in what I have to say in the first place. He's right. He's got a good point. He's got a good point. And the mother wants him to go to shul. So, once upon a time, there were people that were traditionalists. There are less and less of them. But some people, tradition, this is what we do, and, and this is what we do. It's just not, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's, it's not happening. I was, uh, I, I was invited to speak in, uh, doesn't matter, another country, and, uh, and they asked me to speak at the davening of chakras. And the kids were coming in. It, was, it wasn't a, it was like a modern Orthodox type of place. And so as they're coming into the shul, they... One of the heads of the school was yelling at the kids, where's your keeper? put on your keeper? Where's your keeper? put on your keeper? And uh, these kids had such ridiculous haircuts. Like, there was, I don't even know how they could put a keeper on their head. They had spikes and, you know, how are you going to put a keeper on that? But, and, the, and, and he was so frustrated. He turned to me and he said, in my generation, nobody would even consider walking into a shul without a keeper. Here, every day I have to fight with them and remind them to put on a keeper and put on a keeper. So I said to him, I said, actually, I think it's good news. And he said, wow, what kind of good news could this be? I said, well, this is what we're told, that in the times of Mashiach, there'll be greater chutzpah. Rav Kook explains that chutzpah is a holy chutzpah. People are not willing to just do it because we did it. They want to understand. They want to be real with it. They want this to be genuine. And so just to tell them, put on a keeper for the sake of telling them, put on a keeper, they'll put it on, but in their heart they took it off a long time ago. So um, I'd rather be with people that just say the truth that, and have the chutzpah to, to complain about it. So at least we can talk about it. But as long as they're being polite, we're there, we're there, we've lost them. They're just being polite. And, we, we don't, we're, and we're losing. We're losing so many. We're losing so many in the firm world. 
you know, much of my 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 career was working in outreach to towards people that were not religious. And then when when Israelites started Araita, um, that was a very much a switch in my career where we were focusing on kids that were coming from the modern Orthodox day school. I saw like, wow, we can run after the assimilated Jew, but Jews that are already somewhat in the fold, and maybe even more than somewhat, they know Hebrew, they know some basic halacha, they know basics in, in Torah, we're losing them. We're losing them. So like a company going, trying to get new customers, when the customers you have are leaving. So, so what's going to be? So there's a chutzpah in the world where kids are saying, I don't want to do it just because my Zaidi did it. And it's sad on one hand, but it'll be very, uh, very, very good news if we can, if we can tap into the desire for something more genuine and turn it into something very genuine. Think about uh, Nachman's idea of individual prayer, God in your own words, your own language, Not as a substitute for Tvila. No, but as a supplement. Sure, of course. I think people are missing that personal sense of talking to Hashem. Because, you know, when you're on a bus, how real are these people on the bus? You see them, but until you talk to them, they're not so real. How do you enable Hashem to be more real in your life? Is by talking to Hashem. But let's say you talk to these people, but they don't talk to you. So something's still missing. Because Baruch talks to us also. But he talks to us when we're learning Torah. Through the chidushim that he sends to us in our heads. When we immerse ourselves in Torah and suddenly something hits me, I think this is what the Pasuk means. That's a little bit of Hashem talking. So we speak to Hashem through davening and Hashem speaks to us through, 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 through learning. But, so I, I, I absolutely, I'm, I'm an advocate of Hidbodadut, but not as a substitute for tefillah. And I know schools today are trying to do something about tefillah and they're doing all these creative things about tefillah except learn the text. What are they actually, what are we saying? And I hear there's all kinds of tefillah that's going on. Kids are telling me those strange things that they're doing in different schools to try and make tefillah more interesting. Well, but why not just go to something old-fashioned? Let's explain the words and the intention behind these words and what we're hoping to accomplish by saying these words. Why not start there? Why are we doing all these creative, interesting minyanim and all that? As well as that, I think it's beautiful to bring more Shlomo Kabach singing into the tefillah. But in my mind, it's a good thing, but it's kind of avoiding the problem, which is we don't know what we're saying. And we don't know who we're talking to. And we don't know why he'd be interested in hearing us say it in the first place. And we don't know what we should be expecting to happen after this. But at least we're singing. Uh, okay, it's great that we're singing. But it won't be enough. It just won't be enough. Any more questions? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. I'll tell you why. 
The no part of it is it could become a handicap and you'll never get to the Hebrew. The no part of it is the English translation really suffers from the limitations of translation. Like the word Baruch, blessed. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. You know, blessed art thou. Oh, give me a break. What did you just say? What am I, what am I supposed to mean? What, what does this mean? So, so I do think that if you don't understand any of it, then at least pick parts of it that you teach yourself to understand in Hebrew as you work your way through it. But uh, to just say blah, 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 I think a lot of people are going to get tired. They're going to speed it up and they're going to try and get to the Kiddush Club. That's why they're there. <laughs> the Kiddush Club. Yeah. By, by the way, I wanted to also respond. See, the downside of Hitvadudud is it's not taking care of the, the aspect which is so central to Torah life, which is community. Because that's a big part. This is our communal prayer. We together, whether we're standing together or I didn't make it to Minyan, but this is our community's prayer. And a big part of Yiddish guide is about, that's why it's not even called a Beit Tefillah. It's called a Beit Knesset. <laughs> well, you call it a Beit Tefillah. But what's special about the Beit Knesset is Jews are coming together. So, you know, so I've heard people say, you know what, I don't like going to shul. I don't like the people in the shul. They're talking anyways during davening. So I've decided to daven on my own. That's not, that's not a good solution. You're Porosh Metzibur. And, and we need to reinforce the tzibur. And recently I heard a, a talk where um, uh, a, a new age guy that was very far from Yiddishkeit has come back to Yiddishkeit. And people are very excited about this and he's kind of promoting Judaism. So uh, he was telling people, go to shul. Well, this guy, he became a Buddhist. Now he's telling people to go to shul. But anyways, so this one woman asks in the audience, Look, I go to shul and I get nothing out of it. He said, that's the problem. Everybody's going there to get something out of it. So there's nothing there for everybody because everybody came to take. Nobody came to give. Go to shul and not look for what you can get out of it, but what you can put into it. And I think that people are coming to shul as takers. Rabbi, inspire me. Choir, sing me to God. What? what what are you doing here? What, what are you contributing here? You know, we're at Sibur. They say a story about the Baal Shem Tov. He was davening with his, his Talmidim, and a minion, and he was davening long. And they all finished, and they were waiting, but they felt bad because they didn't want the Baal Shem Tov to feel that he was being pressured by them guys standing around and waiting. So one by one, they left the shul. And as soon as they left the shul, he came out and says, how could you do that to me? I was only able to daven because you were there. So it's it's not it's really learning to build tzibur, and I think that's a mistake that's happening in 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 some areas of Jewish education that there's not enough understanding of Kol Yisrael. That this is about you as an individual, but as a member of Kol Yisrael, and uh, and so. I still, I'm not diminishing the importance of Hitzbodedut. But I think that sometimes people like Hitzbodedut but don't want to do this. 
and don't think they need a minion and don't understand how important it is to be part of a minion because we are about Klau. And we need to express ourselves as members of Klau. And I'm, I'm finding more and more through the kids that are coming to Raita, we've had already 400 kids go through Raita. There's not enough consciousness of Klau. Of Mamish Klau Yisrael. And that so much of Yiddishkeit and the halachas that we do is because this is how we bind together as Klau Yisrael. Maybe I could talk all night. You can stay. Whatever you want. I'm not, I'm not rushing you out of here, but I don't want to hold you back, but I'm happy to answer any more questions. Yeah. Why should we want something? Um, why don't we just work to tune into the, the noise and try to make music out of it? Why you can't make the noise into music. The noise is a radio that's not tuned into the station, and so the radio is hearing noise. Let me ask a different question. Why should we want something not just for it to accept what Hashem has given us as being great and the ah. best? Mm-hmm. Rav Cook says that that's, that's on the level of Shabbos. What, what time is the Musa? 9.30. Oh, 9.30. Um, till what time? 10 o'clock, I think. It's a half an hour. Um, Rav Cook says that the reason on Shabbos you don't ask is because there's a level where the Tzaddik says... I'm completely makabel your will. Okay? But we have a mitzvah to daven. So for whatever reason, thank you. Whatever reason, Hashem says, I want you to daven. I want you to daven. Okay? But there's times that we have to also learn to be makabel. And also, if you look at the Shemana Esrei, there seems to be a contradiction. You can keep it or whatever you want. but um, there, there seems to be a contradiction because we daven, we daven, and daven. And then we say, Modim anachnulach. And we say, everything's wonderful, everything's great, there's only chesed. Wait a second. If you would have said that at the beginning of your davening, why would you daven? You make all these requests, and then you thank Hashem as if everything's beseder. But that's kind of how a yid lives. They are requests. I didn't say they're not requests, but you're not requesting by trying to change yourself's mind. You're requesting because through the request you're acknowledging that you're the source of healing and I want healing. But you're not requesting to change his mind. You're requesting in order to recognize that he is the source of healing and formulate your ratzon for healing. And then healing can come into the world. But it might not because it might not be his ratzon right now. I don't know. But that's what we're trying to do. So if we're trying to ask for things, but in a way it doesn't give the impression that we're trying to change lives? I'll give you a story. Too bad everybody's already gone, because that's a good question. Um, they're all good questions, but this one is important. Let's say a kid is asking his father for a new bicycle. Daddy, daddy, please, I want a new bicycle. Father says, no, son. Daddy, please, please, I want a new bicycle. No, son. After a month of asking his father a new bicycle, the father says, okay, son, go to the garage. Kid's a little surprised, doesn't know what that means. Goes to the garage, and there's a bicycle. So happy. His brother's laughing. He says, what are you laughing at? He says, this bicycle has been here for three months already. Abba was just waiting for you to understand where it comes from and that you would ask for it from the right place and want it for the right reason. But it was there waiting for you. It was there waiting for you. 
the uh, there's a safer called Shari Ori by Rabbi Jikatelia. He says it's like Hashem has a vault, and it's all in there. You just need to know the combination to get what's in there. But it's all in there. That's what he says. It's all in there. So I'm asking, but not because Hashem needs to change his mind. It's I need to change my mind. And the way I do it is the more I recognize you, Hashem, are the source of bracha, and I, please Hashem, I want this. I want that. And I know that what I want is what in the deepest depths is what he wants because he has Goel Yisrael. So he wants Geula. Bonei Yerushalayim. He wants Yerushalayim. question is, do I want Yerushalayim? People can say, I want health and then do terrible things to their body. So you want health. You're saying to Hashem, you want health. So I, I, I borrowed a car from somebody. They gave me a lecture on what gas has to go into the car and what happens if it's not that gas. And the whole time they're telling me about the car, they're smoking a cigarette. So when it comes to your car, you're really makhpeed what goes into the car. When it comes to your lungs, you're not so makhpeed. And then a person gets up and says, Rafaino Hashem If you want health, also she comes broken that you want health. And do what you can do towards your health. But it's about how you build Ratzon. Do you have uh, an explanation why Hashem wants us to pray? Yes. Um, it says that Hashem, that the matriarchs struggled with fertility because mitave kodesh baruchu latfilatam shetzadiki. Sounds terrible. Hashem makes people. He, he has a taiva for our. He likes to. I, 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 I want you to ask me so you so I feel powerful. It sounds terrible. Right. But the understanding is, and I've seen it in Sifrei Chassidus, Hashem can give you everything, but there's one thing He can't give you. He can't give you the Ratzon to receive it. You have to want it. If I don't want it, and I get something that I don't want, I didn't really get it. So if I invite my friend over for a surprise dinner, and... and uh, but I don't tell him. And on his way, he stops off and fills his belly so he would be satiated and be able to talk to me. And he didn't realize that I actually was surprising him with a gourmet meal. So he'll eat it, but he's not hungry for it. So it's described in, 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 in Sod as mei nukva and mei nkharim, which is the, the, the arousal of the woman to be makabel. And so, Hashem can give you bracha, but the tzima'on for the bracha has to come from you. And so the davening, the yearning, the dreaming is setting the stage so that when I mikabel it, I can really enjoy it. And that's the way Hashem set up the plan. So we should want it. It's kind of like the example I always give is the Wizard of Oz, which is, you have this girl Dorothy, and she's doesn't really appreciate her her home. She gets sent into Galut <laughs> by a hurricane. And then all she wants is to go home. She just can't wait to go home. And she's going to go to a, a, a wizard. And he's got a magic act how to get her home. But she misses her ride. 
and Glinda, the good witch from, from wherever, she shows up and she says, um, no problem, uh, not a problem. All you have to do is click your heels three times and say the only place like home. Well, you couldn't have come earlier, lady. <laughs> like I have to, I had to spend all this time with a lion and a tin man and a scarecrow and and I and 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 flying monkeys and I mean, we, why couldn't you have come earlier? Because Dorothy had to come to the deep realization: there's no place like home. She needed to want it. If I give my children something before they want it, they don't get it. I mean, they have it. They don't really get it. And so what's called in Hasidus, they call it about building the kalim, that, that everything Hashem does in our life is orchestrating within us a thirst and a hunger to be makabel, what Hashem the whole time wanted to give us. But if He would give it to us before we have a ratzon lekabel, then we really don't get it. I mean, it's in our lives, but we didn't really get it. I'll tell you, I used to teach an actor by the name of Kirk Douglas. And he used to fly me every six weeks to learn with him for five hours a day for a week. He told me something very amazing. I was sitting in his home in Beverly Hills, beautiful home with millions of dollars of art throughout the home. And he said to me, you know, Rabbi, I gave my kids everything. But there's one gift my parents gave me I couldn't give my kids. Poverty. My kids never had poverty. But I got the gift of poverty, and that's why I sit here in this house, and I enjoy my house. I enjoy this house, because I didn't have this, and I worked really hard to get this. But my kids, couldn't give them the gift of poverty. God so Baruch gives us the gift of poverty. As I got to do the Musa thing soon, so I'm going to get prepared and just go to the restroom. And guys, thank you for coming. Thank you. What's your name? Jonathan Hurwitz. Nice to meet you. No, I, 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 someone told me about you. I think a few months ago. Oh yeah. And I, I read went through your first, the first few books that you wrote. Oh wow. And um, you mentioned, you mentioned at some point that you were in BMT a bunch of years. That's ago. right. And so I said, I asked why that if you knew you were, I said you knew you were. I said you had an Afro from Canada. He said, o